This podcast is being brought to you by Leftover Energy, LLC. I am service. I am uplift. This is a, this is a joke that is clean. It don't have to be clean. Yeah, it does, man. <laughs> it does. Absolutely has to be no, clean. Well, yours has to be clean. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, I take that back because... Uh, I, I, I guess I was being funny because it's like, I don't care who it is. The pastor said we tell it clean jokes. We tell it clean oh, jokes today. Clean <laughs> jokes. Yeah, this, is, this never goes away once you put this out there, right? It'll, be, it'll never go away. Yeah, so no, it's got to be clean. <laughs> The Reverend Andre D. Sparks. What does D stand for? Stands for Donnell. Donnell. Which my wife says is the most ghetto name ever. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Well, if somebody sees Andre Donnell, they ain't going to think it's a white boy on the oh, resume. No. <laughs> no. no, sir. The Reverend Andre D. Sparks is a native of Birmingham, Alabama. He is the eldest son of the late Cedric L. Sparks and the late Doris Jones Sparks. He is a lifelong member of First Missionary Baptist Church East Boyles. He has been actively involved in all aspects of the ministry. He has previously served as associate minister, deacon, vice chairman, trustee, vice chairman, director of youth and children's activities, Sunday school teacher, and the church's legal advisor. Reverend Sparks was educated in the Birmingham public school system. He is a 1981 graduate of West End High School. He received his bachelor's of science degree in 1985 from Tuskegee Institute and his doctor of jurisprudence from the University of Alabama School of Law in 1988. Reverend Sparks is a graduate of the United States Army Judge Advocate General School, and he also pursued studies in Birmingham Theological Seminary. Reverend Sparks has long sensed a call to serve in the preaching ministry, and in June 2001, he followed the example of his paternal grandfather, the late Reverend George Jones, and accepted the Lord's call to preach. He served as an associate minister at First Missionary Baptist Church East Boyles under the discipleship of the late Reverend Clyde Beverly Sr., who ordained him in 2003. On March 3, 2004, he called to be the ninth pastor of 45th Street Baptist Church. Since his arrival, the church has experienced a resurgence in membership and mission. I'm going to ask you a question pastor all right tell me a joke well have you heard have you heard the story about that's going around about butter no well that's all right i'm not gonna spread it brother <laughs> good one good one what's green and has wheels Grass. I lied about the wheels. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. 
We're in that zone. I cut off midway because I want to talk about some of this stuff instead of just reading it off, right? Okay. What we have a little thing going on this this uh, season. The question is, what makes you so Birmingham? Oh wow. And and you say you tell me what makes you so Birmingham. And then I'm going to tell you why I think you're so Birmingham. All right. Well, I think I'm so Birmingham because I come out of the core of Birmingham. Okay. All right. And I think if you ask people today what the core is, they'll probably jump to the, the west side or maybe even go to the east side now. But actually, my journey in Birmingham started north side. Okay. North, yeah. My family is from what's called Harriman Park. But we call okay. it L&N City because it's right by the railroad tracks. It's the railroad tracks that divide Tarrant City from North Burke from yeah. the north side. Yeah. Okay. So that's my grandparents' home there. We grew up there. That's the focus of love in my life, just to be honest with you. Wow. Uh, my mama had me when she was 18. She wasn't married. And my grandparents provided a form and a place for support, structure. I was the second oldest grandchild they had. And I tell people, any, anybody who knows me knows that that house in Ellen City is the location that love generated in me. Mm. And then my mom got married about when I was about four, and we moved to West. We moved to West End. Well, we really moved um, near West End, some apartments, and then we moved on over to West End. Okay, we've been there since '71. We still own that home over in West End. Really? Yeah. The only and and you know, contrary to belief, middle class family. We were the only ones that ever lived in that home. Mom and dad. It was just built. When they found it, so we're the only family to ever ever lived in it, which belies the, the the conception that you know it's the hood over there, right? Because it wasn't. That's right. It wasn't. It was very. Uh, I use this now. It was very leave it to beaverish. Yeah. When we moved over there, every house, mom and daddy. Yeah. Their children playing out in the yard and in the street. Right. Now it's changed because it's changed ownership. Those original tenants and owners have gone to glory or uh, mm-hmm. or some other story, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And and now the kids have got it. And I don't know that they had the sweat equity in those homes to appreciate it and keep them up. Right. Uh, and so that's why the neighborhood, I think, sometimes looks a little different. Um, but that's why I say I'm so Birmingham because I'm straight out of Birmingham. And I, everywhere I go, I tell people I'm an ambassador for Birmingham. Well, you you stole what I was going to say. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and only, only, not really. Um, j- just one aspect is the reason I, I see you as so Birmingham okay. is because of the two hats you wear, right? As the pastor of a church in Birmingham, Alabama, that is significant. That is, um, you know, we church folk around here. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know what oh, I'm saying. Absolutely. And so even in the in the in the pre-show, I was like, if the pastor say we tell him clean jokes, we tell him clean jokes because I come up in I came up in a time where there was a not no pun intended a reverence. No, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. We yeah. talk church. We can you know just. Just having a casual conversation, church is going to come up in it. It's going to come up in it. Yeah. And then you go to the other extreme where you are the the caretaker of um, one of the caretakers of the laws of this city. And um, you have to, in my opinion, 
have a love for the city and its people to sit in your seat because you know whether because we we talk all the time. I right. tell you what, I don't agree with some and this sure. that, and the other, but you have to have a love for the city and its people to even want to sit where you sit. I wouldn't want to do it. I I don't I don't know that I uh, um, God hadn't touched me like that, and I just feel as though uh, you. You know Birmingham. You are Birmingham. You have your hands on the pulse of Birmingham, and um, and and your your the Sparks name means something in Birmingham. Well, so that's 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 what I have. You kind of say that, uh, and and I'll tell you what. Both of my the jobs you mentioned, both of the the duties that I have dovetail in one place, and that is loving people. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can do either of them appropriately mm. unless you care about people and their outcomes and use whatever leverage you mm-hmm. have to make life better for them. I yeah. think that's where both of them meet. Yeah. And if ever I'm in a space when I don't feel like I can love people like that, then I need to probably consider doing something something different. You can't pass the people and not love them. Yeah. Now, love doesn't mean like. Mm-hmm. That's right. Everything they do. That's you can't pass the people and you're not gonna like everything that people do. And they're not gonna like everything I do. Uh-huh. But the same thing is true in court. There are some people I'm extremely disappointed in the choices they've made. Uh-huh. But because I understand that people make bad choices and recover from that all the time, uh-huh. then it's my job to, I think, help them get to that next space. Don't leave them where I find them. Mm-hmm. At least give them the opportunity to do something better. Now, sometimes that comes with consequences, but mm-hmm. we're moving toward a better space whenever I interact with them. Um, and I think that's what both of those jobs mean, loving people. Let's talk about one of those hats, and let's talk about the only time I can remember that I just really, I was really irritated with you, and mm-hmm. we chatted about it, and that was about. Uh, the we weren't talking about decrim. We were talking about the decriminalization of marijuana. I didn't want to say legalization improperly. We were talking about decriminalization, and I was just really frustrated about um, your position. But you explained it to me, and I I, I really um, it it made me think. Yeah. And I and and so I want you to say it here. And and that was you said. I'm not, you said, you articulate, you said you're not against it, you you don't have a problem with people, but you want to be, you want those people to be able to come to court and you have the opportunity to direct them in in corrective measures and maybe. And, and that's consistently what I say about it. See, I think people believe that folks, well, l- let me use me. Okay. That I'm in a space where. But did I, did I would say it yeah. about right? You did. But, you yeah, did. yeah, go ahead. I think people believe, because of the position that I, I think I've said before, that weed is new. Weed, weed is new. Mm-hmm. I went to an HBCU. I mean, I went mm-hmm. to college. Right. Yeah, certainly there may have been at least a discussion of some weed. <laughs> at least. Discussion. <laughs> we'll say it that way. And so, um, and I've seen how it impacts people. Mm-hmm. Um, some have been able to use it, and uh, it's almost like casually drinking on the weekend. They they use it, and then they move on. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it's not impactful in their lives for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Then I've seen others, and they simply become what well, you and I know as weed heads. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like they can't function mm-hmm. without it. Mm-hmm. And and as I've gotten into the profession that I'm in, the, the Lord has directed me down the pathway of supporting people in substance uh, abuse situations. Mm-hmm. And that became about because uh, primarily when I was at family court for about 12 years, you may not know this, but I was the presiding uh, judicial officer for Alabama's first juvenile drug court. You told me when we were chatting about this. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so starting in 1996, I got into a space where I started observing what was happening to young folk who had substance abuse problems. Mm-hmm. Time and time again, the primary drug that came up was weed. Mm-hmm. It was driving a lot of negative activity. And mm-hmm. So I see a lot of people who are pushing, pushing, pushing weed, but I also see the other side. Right. And all I ever want, even as we move down the road to whether or not there is criminal activity, I mean, criminal liability attached to it, mm-hmm. I simply want people to be able to get help when they can no longer control the addiction, which comes to make matters worse. Uh, the weed that smoked today is stronger than the weed when I was in school. Mm-hmm. It's completely different in its content. Mm-hmm. And so we ain't talking about your dad's weed that you're smoking today. <laughs> right, 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 right. This right. is some addictive some addictive stuff necessarily mm-hmm. and because they want to sell more of it. Right. All right. So um, what I've worked to do, is help people get treatment when they need treatment. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 the passion that I have, you know. Whether mm-hmm. somebody chooses to do it, look, alcohol is legal. Right. Yeah, but I saw alcohol tear my dad up. My dad had died. Our dad had died when he was 49 years old. Yeah. The doctor told him three years before he died, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. He didn't. And so at age 49, the death certificate says heart attack. Mm-hmm. But we knew. But we know, yeah. We knew what it was, and so I liken, I liken, the marijuana situation to that. Now, other people may not agree with me. The only problem is, I can give you name as preacher said. I can give you chapter and verse. I can give you name after name after name after person. And I've had too many people stand in front of me, and us have conversations like this. See, that's another thing I learned when I was at family court. Don't assume. Talk to people. Mm-hmm. Listen to them. And they've gotten to a place where they'll come in and they'll tell me, and I'll say, so what's going on with you and weed? Mm-hmm. And they'll tell me straight up, and they say, well, you know, I get high every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I smoke five, six blunts a day. Mm-hmm. By any definition, that's not healthy. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right? Mm-hmm. And I say to them, you need some help? And they'll tell me, yeah, because I can't start by myself. Right. I want to be able to help them. Right. But I don't think you ought to have to get in trouble right. to get the help. Right. I think it ought to be available commun- from a community source without you having to go through the criminal justice system mm-hmm. to get that help. Unfortunately, excuse me, unfortunately, we're not there yet. Right. And I want to help us get to that place. And I I just, I'm glad you you said all that because when we talked, I was mad. You, were, you know what I'm saying? You were. And I, and I understand that. It's like, you know, I had a conversation, funny enough, just yesterday had another one today, and and, and and the crux of it was people talking to me about, and you just brought up alcoholism and how I just stopped drinking. Well, everybody ain't able to just stop, no, no. or everybody isn't able to manage. Everybody is. And so when you 
brought forward. Man, I'm I'm trying to get folk help that that are addicted. Yeah. I'm not trying to hurt people to criminalize them. It made a lot of sense to me, and I just. I just wanted people to hear from the horses. It's been my consistent conversation. I've had it with other leaders in the community Mm -hmm. that this is my place. I'm not just against that. I'm not just against that. I mean, I don't, I'm not necessarily for it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. But but what I'm saying is. But there's purpose. There isn't, you're just not trying to hurt people. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, if that works for you, if that's a thing that you do, good on you. (laughs) But when you reach a point, when you turn a corner and you say, I'm kind of needing this to function, then we probably need to look at this a little bit deeper and see what's going on uh, because it can have negative impacts on folks' lives too. Hello, I'm Dr. Geraldine Agee, Miles College Provost and Senior Vice President of Academic Affairs. And I'm here to tell you that now is your time. Miles College is Birmingham's premier four-year HBCU. We offer intimate class sizes, accessible faculty, and a personalized career plan with you in mind. Whether it's your first time in college or you want to return and finish, please come experience Miles College and let us invest in your future. All right, we'll come back to what I was about to say, but we're going to stay on here right now. We were talking about the... um, how we feel that music yeah. is such a, 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 a negative thing and these video games are such a negative thing. And you made an interesting comment a, a minute ago. Tell, tell me what you said. Where if, if Jesus was here, what? Oh, he would absolutely have an Instagram page. <laughs> he would. Yeah, and he'd be posting up and saying, you know, check out me and the disciples at the well. <laughs> You know, I, that he was would, so funny. He, he would do that, yeah, uh, because that would be relevant. That's what that to me. That's where people will, would be because we want to demonize an app, yeah, demonize those those uh, online platforms when it's not the platforms; it's the people, yeah, who operate them, and maybe it's the people who who manage them and the people who use them. But somebody needs to regulate it just a little bit more. But you know, when I when I imagine Jesus um, dealing with all those people who were against him. Uh, um, when he was here in his earthly ministry, they weren't nice people. Right. They didn't like people. He right. couldn't cancel them. <laughs> right. He tried to educate them and talk to them. And if that had been, uh, if these mediums had been available at that time, you can't tell me that the uh, that the uh, folks in the temple wouldn't have been at Jesus. You know, <laughs> they'd been going at it on his page with him. You know, and then his disciples would have to jump on there. And, you know, and they had Twitter beat. Come on. <laughs> I mean, to me, that would be that, but to not even have that notion, uh, to not even be in that space. I hear too many people. I'm 58 years. I just turned 58. Happy birthday. Yeah, I appreciate Well, no, it was in July, but I mean, just recently. But but I hear too many people who are around my age who still seem to have some aversion Mm -hmm. to being in those spaces, you know, like it's something wrong with it. and. Um, you started making a point about music and how it's it is but before we go there, yeah, um, I gotta say this one of the I always ask people what their social media is, yeah, and so i I didn't know you were on social media, so that's I didn't ask because I was like, he's not on social media, but say what you said about. You're on there, you just don't post. Yeah, no. And I how tell, problematic Facebook is. I tell all the kids that I'm, you know, I'm going when, when I when I send a friend request, you know, I expect <laughs> you to make a friend. You if you're doing something, 
that I shouldn't see, then that's a problem. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I'm not going to bother you. My kids say, my you know, my kids are adults. They say, Dad, we, you know, you just be on there stalking them kids. <laughs> no, I'm just watching, seeing what's going on, just trying to see what's going on in their world because I think it's informative. How can you speak to them if you don't know what's going on in their world? Yeah. And so... Um, you you specifically said that's how you stay relevant. That's how you, you know what's going on. I think it's important. My... Yeah. my, my, my my wife and I had kids young. Okay. By the time we were 22, 23 years old, we had both of our kids. And so I tell my kids, unfortunately for them, we grew up with them. Yeah. But because yeah. we were in that space, because I had my kids at that age, when I was on the bench at family court, um, and I was there young, when I was 30 Yeah. when I got there, but they kept me in the know right. about what was going on. And so when kids came in my courtroom I could talk to them about what was going on. Right. Well, I've gotten up in age, and it's hard for me to keep up with that unless I stay in a space that gives me some indication of what's happening with them. But on the few times you do post, Ooh. where can people find you? Like, oh. you, uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Either you or the church. Let we we want to be able to follow. Well, they can go to the church and get my social media contacts. I think that okay. would be important. Let me say it that way. I was on Facebook. Man, I was really grooving on Facebook back in 2010, 2011. And the reason I was enjoying it is because it connected me to people from my, you know, from high school. Yeah. People from Tuskegee. Yeah. Um, and and law school even. And so uh, and then people started sending me, you know, messages. This is before DMing people was really big. So they posted mm. on my timeline, Judge Sparks, my son has a case in front of you. <laughs> and I'm saying, come on, man. <laughs> right. I said, this is not an appropriate forum for us to discuss anything like this. Please don't talk about <laughs> it anymore. Okay, I understand. But he's supposed to come to court Friday. And so people, uh, you might not know this, Iva, but judges were getting removed from the bench. From engaging in conversations like no, that because I it's, didn't. it's ex parte communications, which is strictly prohibited. You probably know that. Yeah. Yeah. And th so I'm saying she can't get in trouble, but, but she I can. can. Yeah. So I shut it down. I gotcha. shut it down. And then because I had the page out there, <laughs> every year for my birthday, I get all these birthday hits. <laughs> uh, yeah. My children would come in there and say, Daddy, you got a whole bunch of birthday requests. So I open my page up. Thank everybody for the birthday. And close it right back right down. down. <laughs> After a while, I just stopped doing that. Man. Yeah. I just can't be in that space. Now, what were you about to say about the music? Yeah, so when I was growing up, uh -huh. if you were a young guy, thing that was most uh, significant for you was following along those groups that sang. You listen to that music all yeah. the time. We listen to WJLD. We listen to WENE. Right. That music informed us. If you didn't have any big brothers, which I did, and I had uncles, but big brothers to teach you how to rap, how to talk, yeah, you learned romance in that space. And the music spoke to that yeah. of the day. It spoke to it that. Did. The music today doesn't necessarily speak to romance or solid relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying that to say this. We learn how to be gentlemanly in that space. Through the music. Through the music. And just as that music informed a whole generation of us how to be. Now, you could go parliament on them and not be so gentlemanly in some of that music. You know, but even that but had it wasn't a tone. destructive. It wasn't. And so just like that music informed us and taught us how to behave in a certain way, I too see a similarity in the music today. It's teaching a certain way to act that simply is destructive. Now, let me ask you this and get, so I can get both of them in at one time. You know, I told you I was going to ask you about 
you know, the relevance and all of that of the church right now in, yeah. in this community, in this society. And I just want you to kind of talk about, because you have a very unique perspective, right? Most, most pastors, I won't say most pastors, my assumption or the way I view it is that most pastors don't see what you see on a daily basis. They There is a disconnect. Now, I, I don't know that, but I'm going to make us an assumption, especially for this podcast. So given what you see on the day-to-day, yeah. staying relevant, listening what these kids listening to day-to-day, where, where does the change come? And how how what role can the church play when it just seems like, well, I think I think we've allowed ourselves to slide into a space to not be relevant to young folk. And that's because we don't speak to them right now. Every time we come to them, we come to them in a yesterday, in a memory. Mm. In a yesterday we used to, or this is how we used to do it. And I, I constantly get reminded by my children of that, that we, you know, things change. For example, I'll give you COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID. Everybody, if you were going to stay connected to your congregation, you had to go into some virtual space. Right. Refusing to go into a virtual space simply cut off your folk. Right. And they say, well, we got members in our congregation who are older who can't get there. You'd be surprised because they got children and they got grandkids. And if they want to get up on a platform, they'll get up on the platform and get there. And so when we first got there, we started having people who were coming on who were never in that space before, mm-hmm. and we stayed connected. But as soon as we saw the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID, people wanted to shut it down. The only problem is we had people who connected with us who will never walk through the front door. Right. So what are we doing? We're just going to cut them off. And what we found, uh, is that the new front door of the church is online. That's a the new front door, that's where that's that. where it is. They're going to come. The last few people that have come to the church visiting and, and told us about it mm-hmm. have said to me, uh, yeah, we started listening online. We started paying attention online, and we decided we were going to come visit. Validated what I've been reading, validated what I've seen from other folk. And so we have to stay in that space. There has to be an ongoing presence. In fact, we got to build it up. Um, but, but, but making the workflow from in-person visit, go to in-line, is a difficult thing, and it costs a little money to do it as well. But we got to do it. I don't think young folk believe we know what they go through. Mm. And if we don't talk to them, uh, you ask, where's the church now? We're flunking on some things. One of the issues that we flunked on is diversity. Mm. All right? We flunking. We're flunking. We always talk about diversity. We talk about them flunking. Yeah. We're flunking on diversity of... um, Social behaviors, for example, um, we've always had gay people in church, mm. but they always had to say, stay in a certain place. Right. Well, the people who were in that place have decided, I'm not going to just sit on the third pew. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be who I am. Right. And I think what we fail to do is love people. Mm. I do. I think we castigate them for their activities so much that we forget to see who they are. Mm-hmm. And we don't love them in the space that they need to be loved, and that's not every church, right? But um, I think when we get to heaven, the Lord is going to tell us that there are some things we got absolutely right and some things we got absolutely wrong, and it's going to be absolutely wrong on that because nowhere in the church, nowhere will we admonished because of that kind of activity where we supposed to put folk out of the church, right? 
We got enough about us to be able to talk to people, even if we don't agree with everything they do. So now let's let's take all the sins that we say are sin, mm-hmm. all the activities that we say are inappropriate, and let's see who we lift up and who we put down. Mm-hmm. And there's no parity in that, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I'm saying, um, I want I want I want all my children to come to church. I want the ones struggling to come to church. I want the ones who are self-assured to come to church. And I want them to know that it's a safe environment for them. And we can deal with whatever issues they may have. If they consider them issues, they may not consider them issues. Right. But we can deal with it. Let's talk about it. But I don't want to put them out of church because I'd rather have them there with me going through life than out there in the world by themselves without anything to fall back on. And so I think we we, we got to work real hard on that. Man, um, before the podcast started you talking about you know i'm thinking about maybe a certain direction with a certain podcast this and the other and um i was kind of struck by it right you you you're actually you actually did something that you don't know about okay through your online presence i was watching uh your podcast because you told me that uh, Jeff Moore okay. was going to be on there. Y'all were talking about men and our issues and whatnot. And it's because of your podcast. Right. It was because of that that I signed up for Brothers Let's Talk. Yeah. And I I did some therapy sessions that they paid for as a result wow. of me watching your Thing. So you tell the church whatever money yeah. they put up, you have a person that literally came to you and said, I participated. I My mental health is better because you had that going on during COVID. That's interesting. You know, there's no way I could have ever known that. No, I know you didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. And so we, we have been putting a great emphasis on uh, well-being, mm-hmm. total well-being. Mm-hmm. And and so each November we've had, you know, you talk about church. I do some things that are kind of unorthodox, like bringing a clinical psychologist to the church and putting them up at the 11 o'clock hour mm. when we're supposed to be preaching. Right. Talk. And I said, well, I think his conversation about mental health to our congregation is sermon enough for him today. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. take care of the necessaries. But let's talk to some people who sitting out here who's struggling with some real, real issues and I can talk to them about what's going on in the Bible, but let's let him talk today. I think one day we can spend doing that. And we, we usually take the month of November, and we will next, next month too, and talk about various aspects of stewardship. Mm. And stewardship in the context of not money, not, not time, not talent, but you. How do you take care of you? How do you give yourself the best option to be yourself and use what God has given you? And so we do complete wellness. I brought in folk talk about suicide, not just adult. Mm-hmm. There's a young brother in Tuscaloosa whose sister committed suicide when she was 10. That mm-hmm. brother needs a forum. He needs to come on your show and talk to you, too, about this. Because, I mean, how do you commit suicide when you're 10? Yeah. 10. I mean, when I first heard it, and, I, and there's a local brother who I knew I grew up with whose son committed suicide when he was 10. What is happening in your life when you're 10, man? I couldn't play enough hide-and-go-seek and, go seek and right. running around and, you know, eating, you know, out in the yard with the holes. Yeah. 10. 
And I'm thinking, what have we done to allow the pressures to get so bad that somebody believes that the best option they have is to not be here anymore? And I struggle with that. Uh, so that was a struggle. For, so I, I believe if, if it impacted me like that, yeah, then the congregation ought to hear it as well. And they received it. The congregation has been very receptive. Well, I tell you, um, you know, I am not just a fan of you as you know my mama's favorite person oh, no. and my I'm not just a fan of yours as my dad's frat brother I'm not just a fan of yours because of the the um your the role you sit in you know I've always looked at you as a role model but man I just want I can't say it enough that that made a difference Bless for you, me, I'm glad. I'm, I'm it glad. Made I'm a glad. difference for me. But the fact that we even talk about those issues, we don't even talk about those issues. Correct. You know, we sit next to brothers and they're struggling, and we never really ask them, "Yeah, how you doing?" That cursory stuff. We sit up talking about sports or whatever else, but we never talk about them. That's right. And uh, that's the one thing. If I if I don't treasure anything from my time when I was at family court on the bench, it taught me, and kids taught me this, taught me how to talk to them. They taught you how to talk to them. They taught me how to talk to them. And you know how you do it. You just talk to them. You say, man, what, what, you, tell me what you want to be when you grow up. And we just talk through that to get to a place where they say, well, you know, I like to draw. Oh, you want to be an artist? Kind of. Not really an artist, but maybe paint. I mean, mm-hmm. those kinds of conversations. And it would disarm them because they would come in trouble. Mm. And they weren't expecting when they came in trouble to have somebody just talking to them. Mm-hmm. But in so talking to them, I think I got to the to the bottom. Now, of course, some of them were resistant and angry sure, and hurt. Sure, everybody ain't. Yeah, you know. but the same concept. But the majority of them, they received it. Yeah, they received it. I, I, I mean, it got to the point where I could kind of look at them and talk to them for a little while and tell this child has been abused. You can tell from their reaction, or a young lady. Yeah. I talked to her and realized in the conversation, just based on her reaction, her emotion, I'd say, we need to step out of the courtroom right now. I'd take all the lawyers into my conference room. Yeah. And we go in there, and I'd ask her, tell me who it was that abused you, because I can tell. Yeah. And and she would just break out crying because nobody could ever see through what she was putting up. And for whatever reason, I could see somebody in her family has put her in this space, and and we would be able to move forward then because now we know she has been abused by a family member who she's still in contact with right now, and we can we could do better from that. But but this talking, mm-hmm. talking makes all the difference in the world. And so I take that concept to the adult court. Yeah, and I talk to them now. Courtroom is an imperfect place to talk mm-hmm. to people about their personal problems, and particularly at Birmingham Municipal Court because we are space deprived. Mm-hmm. If the if the courtrooms were bigger, we could have a much more intimate conversation, and so it's hard for me to kind of do it the way mm-hmm. I want to do it. But you know, we make it work the way we have to make it work. But talking to people is important. What's your favorite um, charity? Um, it's changed recently. In, in the last five years, it's changed. Okay. Um, it's a March of Dimes, and I always work with the March of Dimes because the Alphas have a relationship with the March of Dimes, but. Uh, in two, uh, what's the name of the the official name of the thing? I read it. Uh, well, I, I all I know is to tell you the mantra dimes right now. Maybe but, the, yeah, be, yeah. That, I think mm-hmm. they, we do have a a, 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 a little slogan a program. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but uh, about six years ago, my daughter benefited from the mantra dimes. My daughter is an RN mm-hmm. at UAB, 
and uh, pregnant, mm-hmm. out shopping one evening, Walmart with her husband. And she said she felt like, you know, she was swollen a little bit, more than normal with the pregnancy. So she simply stopped to take her blood pressure at the little thing they got there. Yeah. Blood pressure was up a little bit. So they went to the emergency room and found out she had what's called preeclampsia, which is, mm-hmm. you know, dangerous. Mm-hmm. People don't know. We always talk about pregnancy, little pretty, you know, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy is hard and dangerous. It is the closest to death. Having a baby is the closest to death that a person can have and go through. Well, from that day that she went to UA, to, to the hospital at UAB to be checked, she was in the hospital. They kept her in the hospital until she delivered. Wow. And all they did was keep her there and monitor her uh-huh. until she um, until they got to a place where they said, well, we need to get you to a place where the baby can be born as healthy as possible. And they finally got to that place, and they she tried all day, and they finally had to do a cesarean. Uh-huh. But it was tough, man, watching my daughter go through that and that period of time. But what was more difficult was watching her in the hospital. I had no idea how that weighed on her mentally to just have to be in the hospital. She was in there for over a month, just in the hospital every day, never could leave, never could go anywhere. Uh, and the March of Dimes came through because uh, the baby who was born, his name is uh, Solomon, George Solomon. He's uh, my middle grandbaby. Okay. And uh, he's five now. But when he was born, he weighed three pounds and 12 ounces. Oh, wow. And uh, March of Dimes came through, man. They, uh, I'd always worked with him with the frat. Yeah. But, you know, that's just a fundraiser. Hey, we got a March of Dimes. Right, right. But then it got real. You see it. It got real. You and feel I, it. And I realized that I need to uh, – um, support them as much as I can. So the March of Dimes. Well, thank you for that story. And, you know, I'm going to fill up one of them things for the March of Dimes. <laughs> yeah. Just because you said that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And if, and if you choose not to answer one of these questions, you have to make a donation to the March of Dimes. But they're easy. Okay. Regions Park or Rickwood Field? Regions Park. Botanical Gardens or Railroad Park? Railroad Park. Protective Stadium or Legacy Arena? Protective Stadium. Crossplex or Legion Field? Legion Field. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? Birmingham Zoo. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? Sloss. Biggie or Tupac? Baby, baby. <laughs> no, nah, that's not fair because I like pop too. I mean, yeah. My wife will be so mad at me because she is like a punk fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Michael Jackson or Prince? No doubt. Michael Jackson. My man. Yeah. yeah. Michael Jackson. Civil Rights Institute or Negro League Museum? Civil Rights Institute. Barons or Squadron? <laughs> I can't say. Uh, that's really hard. Uh, that gonna, one hard. Yeah. Tell me why. Well, I've never gone to a squad game. Okay. Um, and I've been, of course, to some Barons games. Uh huh. But um, 
I like the Bears. Yeah. Nothing negative about them, but yeah. you know, I like the the Negro League presence of yeah. the Bears. So yeah. I, if I had to lean, I'd lean toward the Bears. You can probably. say Black Bears. Okay, the Black Bears. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that. You good with yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Legion or Stallions? Yeah, the Stallions. All right. Alabama or Auburn? Alabama. Roll Tide. And Columbia. Alabama State or Alabama A and M? Uh, Tuskegee. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow Tuskegee yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to thank you for coming. Thank you. I want to thank you for your leadership. I want you. I want to thank you for being a big brother. I want you to thank. I want to thank you for just everything that you are to the city of Birmingham. Well, I appreciate it, and I want to say something to you too, because I tell folks in the courtroom all the time. Um, my hat always goes off to people who do the hardest thing in the world. People don't see this as hard. The hardest thing anybody in the world can do is change. Mm. You did it. I applaud you for that. Because people will hold on to what they got for fear of what's going to come. And you leapt to the other side, not knowing what it would be. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. I want to thank you all for listening. And as always, a huge shout out to Creed 63, I360 News, and UrbanHam.com. God bless. This podcast has been brought to you by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office.